Open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. As you're turning there, I was looking around. I want to say something. I haven't said this before. I hope uh, you've known my heart, but I want to say it so we're clear. Uh, looking around our, our crowd today, I see mothers. I'm going to talk to mothers and, and parents of young kids. I want to be sure and say this. I want you to hear this. Uh, we have a nursery. We're glad for you to use our nursery. If you uh, need a break, if you want to put your kids in there, if you want time to hear and put your kids in there, that's an awesome thing. But I want you to hear this. A great blessing in our service are small children. And, and sometimes we get the idea, well, that's a nuisance and they're distracting folks. And I want you to hear this. That is not a distraction. What a blessing it is for them to be able to learn and to see and to grow. And so I just want to tell young parents, especially mothers, uh, be sure and understand it's not a distraction. If you need to get up, get up. If you need to go out, go out. If you need to come back, come back. If they cry, that's okay. If you cry, that's okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord uh, for young kids in our church service. Now I want you to hear that. Praise the Lord uh, for them. <laughs> Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, when we take up his cause, we will be insulted, persecuted, and falsely accused. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, when we take up his cause, we will be hated as he was hated. Man, wasn't he hated? Jesus says in John chapter 15, if we take up his cause and we walk in obedience, the world can't stand that, and we will be persecuted as he was persecuted. Now, I could go on and on and on. The Bible warns us clearly, if we follow Christ, if we serve the cause of Christ, and to the extent that we do, we will suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. That is the biblical truth. That is the biblical teaching. As we serve the cause of Jesus Christ, and to the extent that we do that, we will suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Friends, as the church existing in the last days, and be sure we are in those days, that's where we exist. As the church existing in the last days, that is and that will be our reality. And we can be sure trouble is coming. Trouble is coming. So what do we do? Ignore it? Overlook it? Run from it? Avoid it? Trouble is coming. What are we to do? Now, I just want to go ahead and be honest with you. I'd rather not preach these messages. And I'll just tell you, I would rather not. Yesterday, I'm going through these verses. I would rather not preach these messages. It is no fun. I would rather tell you that following Christ is fun and games. I'd rather tell you following Christ is comfortable and easy. I'd rather tell you that Jesus has promised to you a life of total ease. I wish I could come and have a, certain, a sermon that Satan is going to leave you alone. The world's going to praise you as you follow Jesus. Man, that would be a lot of fun. That would be more fun. But the problem is that's not the truth. That's not the truth. And so we must be real. And listen, in the church today, in these last days, we must be ready our message today is entitled, here as we go to the study of Acts, When Trouble Comes to Town. When Trouble Comes to Town. 
We are in Acts chapter 21, today verses 27 through 40. Acts chapter 21, today verses 27 through 40. When trouble comes to town. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 21, beginning in the 27th verse, it says this. When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law in this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was provoked and the people rushed together and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut. While they were seeking to kill him, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. At once he took along some soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came up and took hold of him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And he began asking who he was and what he had done. But among the crowd, some were shouting one thing and some another. And when he could not find out the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. When he got to the stairs, he was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people kept following them, shouting, away with him. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Then you are not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness. But Paul said, I'm a Jew of Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city. And I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. When he had given him permission, Paul standing on the stairs motioned to the people with his hand. And when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect saying, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, we come today, we're thankful for this opportunity. We're thankful for the opportunity to gather as your people, as the church, and to fellowship and to encourage and to praise you together and to lift up our voices to celebrate you to hear from you, to be taught by your word, your voice, to be instructed, and then to stand as the beacon of good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we come and we ask that you would meet with us in this time. I know that you are. I pray that you would speak to us. I know that you will. And I pray, Lord, that we would be responsive to both of those things and we would respond in obedience, that we would respond in excitement and joy and we would respond in faithfulness to proclaim to a lost world the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for some that will hear this message in this room and in some other way that does not know you. Lord, I pray that knowing that your desire is that they would be saved. I pray that in the hearing of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that just today, this very day, might be the day of their salvation. Lord, we give you this time. We trust it to you. We ask that you work in it and through it, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
Remember in our study, Paul has made his way to Jerusalem. He has delivered the collection that was raised for the poor church, the persecuted church there in Jerusalem. He has met with James, the brother of Jesus, and the other pastors of the churches there in the city. He has given them an update on all the things that God did through him through the preaching of the gospel. Bible says, Paul reports both to the Jews and to the Gentiles throughout his travels. Now, as we read that report last week, it is an awesome report. He tells them one by one the things that God had done through the preaching of the gospel. And the Bible says their response is they rejoice. They praise God for what he has done. Now, I want to bring this back into view right here. The focus has been and is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes we might get distracted in all the things that are going on, but I want you to see the focus has been and is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not lose sight of that. Over these years that he has traveled throughout all of these places, the focus has been making known the good news of Jesus. Lives are changed. Churches are started. Churches are strengthened. Great things take place, and the central piece of it all is the message, there is good news in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to stop right there, and I want to bring this back to our focus today as well. Folks, be sure nothing has changed. Today, our hope, our joy, and still our message is, there is good news in Jesus I think we lose sight of that sometimes. We get so bogged down in all the things of life. We get so busy in the busyness of church life. We forget the, the point of all of this, the center of all of this, is there is good news in Jesus. Praise the Lord. Listen today. There's good news in Jesus. Where you sit, there's good news in Jesus. We leave this building, there is good news in Jesus. Remember that. After Paul gives his account, the church leaders tell him there is trouble brewing. They tell him there are some people that they are, that are telling, that are spreading the, the, the word that the new, to the new Jeru Jewish Christians that Paul is preaching against their Jewish customs and heritage. They, they pull Paul aside and they say, we need to tell you there's some trouble brewing there are some folks that are going in our midst that are telling the new Jewish Christians that you are preaching against their heritage, that you are preaching against their customs. Well, we read trying to fix this. They tell him to help these four men with their Nazarite vows. They tell him in that process to go to the temple and cleanse himself, to go through the rite of cleansing as he has been traveling amongst the Gentiles. These things are a way to keep the peace. He does those things. That's what we read last week. To keep the peace, he does those things, and that's where we start back today. Beginning back in verse 27, chapter 21, verse 27. Here we go. When the seven days, of, when the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd 
and laid hands on him. When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him. When the seven days of purification are over, you have to go back to the temple and represent yourself. Well, the Bible says on this event, the Jews, Paul goes for that event, the Jews upon seeing him in the temple, they stir up the crowd and they begin trying to seize him. They begin trying to grab him. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Notice these aren't just any Jews. I want you to notice this. These aren't Jerusalem Jews. Notice it says the Jews from Asia. That's what it says, the Jews from Asia. Now, I want you to think about this. That is the region that he just left. Most likely, as we read the verses, we're going to see that most likely they were from the city of Ephesus. And so I want you to see these were the Jews that had been causing him trouble. These were the Jews in that region that had been persecuting him. Remember, everywhere he goes, he faces the persecution. These are those Jews. These are not new Jews. These are not Jews from this city. These are the same old Jews that have been persecuting him. And that brings us to the first point today. First point is this. When trouble comes, we need to recognize it. When trouble comes, we need to recognize it. Part of the way that we prepare for trouble is to be ready to recognize trouble when it comes. Now, that makes sense. Part of the way that we brace for trouble is to be able to identify and call it what it is. It says here they recognize Paul. Now, they had come to town for the Passover. That is why they were there. They come for the Passover, and they recognize Paul. I wonder at what point Paul and his group recognized them. That's what I think. I wonder what point Luke and all his group, Paul says, it's them again. <laughs> Good grief. We traveled all the way here. It's them again. First point is this. We have to recognize trouble when it comes. Well, that leads us to a very important question. The question is this, how? How do you know, how do you recognize, how do you identify trouble when it comes? Well, we're going to see what it does, what trouble does, and what it looks like. The first point is recognize trouble when it comes. Well, we're going to see in our verses what trouble does, what trouble looks like that we might identify it. Now, the first thing we see about trouble is still in this verse. We're going to make a list as we pass through our verses. The first thing we see about trouble is still in this verse. The first thing is this. Trouble always enlists others. Trouble always recruits others. Now listen, people get mad. Do you know that's normal? <laughs> People get mad, that's normal. People disagree. Do you know that's expected? People disagree, that is expected. But when you have trouble, you'll find that that person or that group, that they're not content to leave it alone. And they begin to take on the mission of pulling others in, of drawing others in. 
There's folks that get mad. That's normal. There's folks that disagree. That is expected. But when you find trouble, you find folks that have to pull others in, that are recruiting others. In verse 27, it says, they began to stir up all the crowd. Friends, be sure today. When you find a person that is always seeking to add to the problem, to excite others about the problem, and to include others in the problem, you have trouble. They always have to draw somebody in. They always have to add to the problem. Verse 27 again. When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him. Verse 28 and 29, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple, and he has defiled this holy place. Verse 29, for they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. In verse 28 and 29, these two verses, we're going to see two more characteristics of trouble. If our goal is to identify and to be able to point out trouble, we're going to see two more characteristics of trouble. The next thing we see is this. Trouble hides in false causes. Trouble hides in false causes. Notice here in verse 28, they cry out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. That's what it says. Men of Israel, help us. Now, did they really need help? Was there actually something to do? And yet here they are in the midst of this crowd that is gathering. Men, help us, help us. Men, come to our aid. I want you to watch this. Oftentimes, trouble hides in false causes. And oftentimes, trouble is portrayed as a noble cause. Oftentimes, trouble is portrayed as a noble cause. They'll come along and they'll say, you know what, we're just trying to help the church. You know what, we're just trying to look out for you. You know what, we're just looking out for the best interests of others. They may name a group or they may come along and say, you know what, we, we just love people or kids, or kittens. And really, they are hiding the true issue. They are lying about the real issue. Be, be aware today, listen, oftentimes trouble hides in false causes. Also in verses 28 and 29, I want you to see this as well. Trouble always, did you hear that? The other one was oftentimes, this one's always. Trouble always uses false charges, baseless insinuations, wrong presumptions, and outright lies. Now, I want to say that again. That's how it works. Trouble always uses false charges, baseless insinuations, wrong presumptions, and outright lies. Now, I want you to notice their claim. They say, he preaches everywhere against our people. We've, we've, we've watched what he preached. Did he do that? No, that's a lie. He preaches against the law. He didn't do that. That's a lie. He says he brought Greeks, he brought pagans into the temple. 
They said, we saw him in the city with the guy from Ephesus, and so he must have brought him into the temple. Listen, Paul was trying to make peace at the temple. Do you understand? That's why he went there. He wasn't going to do something to stir up trouble at the temple. He wouldn't have brought a Greek into the temple. They say, well, we saw them together in the city. It's a false insinuation. Folks, I want you to be certain. The weapons of trouble, and I'm going to go further this morning. The weapons of Satan and his followers are lies, baseless insinuations, false charges, and wrong presumptions. You know, we know the tools of Satan. Guess what? He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the father of lies. You want to know the tools of his people? It is, it is these things. Listen, when you find a person or a group, and that is what they deal in, you better beware, and you better be sure you have found trouble. Today we're not in a hurry. I hope you're not. <laughs> So I'm going to give you a bonus message right here. It's your lucky day. You can come back tonight and you'll have three messages today. I'm going to give you a bonus message right here. If you find a person and they deal in lies and slander and half-truths and false presumptions, if you find a person and that's what they deal in, you found trouble. Well, here's your bonus sermon today. What do you do when you find them? I, I couldn't pass this by. So what do you do when you find them? Romans chapter 16, verse 17 says this. Now I urge you, brethren, Paul is writing this. Now I urge you, brethren, I urge you, Christian, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching you learned and turn away from them. That's what it says, and turn away from them. Here's what that means. It means when you run across trouble, when you run across a person that deals in slander and lies and tries to draw everybody in and tries to whip everything up and tries to stir up chaos, here's what you do. It's not hard. You turn away. You turn away. You get away. You remove yourself from them. You don't entertain them. You don't listen to them. You don't get sucked in. Do you see that's the problem? If they get you and another and another, there starts a movement. Here's what you do when you find trouble. It's not hard. You turn away and you go away. That's the teaching of Scripture. Free bonus sermon. All right, moving, moving on. Verse 30. Then all the city was provoked. And the people rushed together, and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. The temple police shut the doors. They drag him out of the temple. The temple police are glad for that nonsense to be out of the temple complex. They shut the doors. Verse 31, first part of the verse. While they were seeking to kill him. I want you to see this. This ploy worked. This ploy worked. With this false cause and with this false report, they have actually done what they set out to do. They have whipped up the crowd. They have stirred up the crowd. I want you to think about this, and it, 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 it's worth noticing. Do you remember what week this is in our account? 
A couple of weeks ago, it said, and Paul was trying to make it there by Passover. This is the week of Passover. That's why all these people are there. Do you remember the week that Jesus was crucified in the same city? It was Passover. Same event, same crowd, same week. It says they dragged Paul out. They were seeking to kill him. They are beating him with the intent to kill him. And it says, and all the city was provoked. There's a mob now. There's a riot now. And that brings us to the next thing. The next way to identify trouble, here it is. The next way is this. Understand, trouble seeks sinful answers. How do you know you're dealing with trouble? Because trouble seeks sinful answers. Now, the resolution, and it's not saying there's not going to be problems or trouble, but when you find trouble, trouble seeks a solution that is sinful. Notice here, the resolution is not of God. The resolution for, for trouble is not led by the word of God, but it's led by human logic, human wisdom. It's fueled by human emotion. I want you to be sure of this. When the person or the group seeks an answer or proposes a remedy not fully in line with the word of God and therefore not fully in line with the character of Christ, they are troubled. Well, this is different. Well, this is more egregious. Well, we've got to take a harder stance. When the answer, the remedy that is offered is not totally in line with the word of God and therefore totally in line with the character of Christ, if that's the answer they are proposing, they are trouble. Trouble seeks sinful answers. All right, verse 31. While they were seeking to kill him, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. The Roman cohort, this is the Roman leader, he watched over the city, watched over that region, especially during these crowded times when trouble might arise. Now, they had a fort not far from the temple complex. It would have been about a, a city block away. They had a tower at the fort, and so they're watching the dealings of the people. They're watching the, the hub of the temple, and they probably see the ruckus. They probably see the fight as it takes place. The word comes to them. All Jerusalem is in confusion, verse 32. At once he took along some soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when, he, and when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Now I want you to be clear here as we read verse 32. This is a savage event. This is not a playground scuffle. They're not out there saying, well, you've said this and you've said this and pushing each other around. This is a savage event and they are trying to land the blow on Paul that would kill him. They're trying to kill him. They're trying to beat him to death and I want to deliver the blow that would kill him. This is a savage event. And when the Roman officers and soldiers get there, it says they stop beating Paul, verse 33. Then the commander came up and took hold of him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And he began asking who he was and what he had done. Now I want you to picture this in verse 33. These religious people celebrating a religious holiday, 
are seeking to kill this man. In fact, they're literally killing this man. And so when they show up, a religious people on a relig- in a religious celebration are seeking to kill this man. So surely this man is a menace. Surely this man is dangerous. And so surely that's, that's, he's thinking that's why their response is so violent. This guy must be dangerous. And so he has Paul chained. It says two chains, two chains. I'm not sure if that's one on each of his hands, pull them apart, if that's one on his hands and feet, but he's put into chains, two chains. He begins investigating and asking what is going on. That brings us to the next point, and it's very sad. Here it is. Trouble always impacts the lost world. Trouble always impacts the lost world. We see it here in these Romans. They don't know who Paul is. They don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. They may have heard the name of Jesus. They don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't know Paul. They don't know his message. But they see all of this. Listen, the tragedy of when trouble comes is the truth that lost people are watching and hurting people are watching. And searching people are watching. Even skeptical people are watching. And when they see the trouble, it pushes them further away. Verse 34. But among the crowd, some were shouting one thing and some another. And when he could not find out the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought back brought into the barracks. Let me read that again. But among the crowd, some were shouting one thing and some another. And when he could not find out the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. Now, when I read verse 34, here's what I think. Isn't that our day? Isn't that our day? Two sides yelling. One side is yelling one thing. Another side is yelling some other thing. And they're yelling it, they're, they're, they're in an uproar. It's what the Bible says, and they're loud, and you come, and they're yelling, and they're whipped up, and they're yelling, and they're whipped up, and you can't discern anything. Is what it says. They couldn't find the facts. Sounds like the day we live in. Everybody yelling, nobody able to discern the facts. He decides to take them to the barracks, verse 35 and 36. When he got to the stairs, he was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people kept following them, shouting, away with them. Here in verses 35 and 36, we see the mob is set against Paul. The the officers have come, the soldiers have come, and so they've stopped, but now they've turned back in. And they want to pull him back down. They want to pull him back in. They want to finish the job. And so as the multitude gathers up, they hold him up out of the crowd, most likely on their shoulders. They hold him up out of the raging mob. Verses 37, 38. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Then you are not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness. 
there was a group of terrorists and they hated the Roman rule. They hated the Roman Empire. And these terrorists, they would go into crowds, especially crowds that had compromised with the Romans. And that's what they thought of these Jews. They've compromised. They made a deal. They're not revolting against the Roman rule. And so these assassins would find a big crowd. They would come into the crowd, especially of people that had compromised with the Romans, and they would stab people with their daggers. And then they would act like part of the crowd. It says they would even sometimes mourn with the people and act shocked as the person died. And that's what they would do, infiltrate the crowd, and they would take their daggers and, and stab somebody. And as they died, they would join the crowd and act appalled at what had happened. The word for assassins in Greek actually means dagger. And so this leader says, wait, you're not one of them. That's what he thought had happened. They, they caught one of these guys. That's what he assumed. Verse 39. But Paul said, I am a Jew of Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city, and I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. I beg you, Allow me to speak to the people. Let that ring in your ears for a second. As they're carrying him out of the mob, I beg you to let me to speak to the people. Verse 40. When he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hand. And when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect, saying, I'm going to read verse 40 again. When he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hand, and when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect, saying, If you follow Christ, trouble is coming. If you are committed to the gospel, trouble is coming. If you take a great stand, listen to me, don't be fooled, great trouble is coming. That is the reality. Trouble is coming. I want you to get ready. Here are the two most important points of this message. Now, those things are awesome. We need to know how to identify trouble. We need to be sure and be ready to recognize trouble. But I want you to listen up and I want you to hear the most two important points of this entire message. Trouble is coming. Here you go. However, trouble doesn't change the mission. Trouble is coming. However, trouble doesn't change the mission. Yes, it is coming. Yes, it is going to be hard. But trouble doesn't change the mission. I want you to notice here in verse 39, Paul is a proclaimer of the good news. Paul is a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves. And notice here, he doesn't say, I've had enough of these people. Notice here, he doesn't say, forget these people that have just beaten me and are trying to kill me and are raging. No, he begs, let me speak to them. He doesn't go silent. No, not at all. 
Be sure there will be trouble, but trouble doesn't change the mission. It is why we need it. There's hope only in Jesus. There's peace only in Jesus. Well, look at the trouble. Listen, there's peace only in Jesus. Jesus is the only good news. Trouble doesn't change the mission. Second point, and trouble doesn't change the message. We better be sure of that today. We better be sure of that today. Listen, trouble is coming. Trouble is coming. And trouble doesn't change the message. I'm going to tell you something. You, you look around. Do you know there'd be no trouble if we just changed the message? I'm going to tell you that. If, if you'll just change the message, there will be no trouble. Do you know that's the real issue? We can talk about all these different things. Did you know that's the real issue? If we would change the message, if we would adapt the message, if we would revise the message, the trouble would cease. I promise you that. If you'll change the message, the trouble will cease. In fact, I'll tell you, they might start to exalt you. They might start to hold you up on a pedestal. The problem is the message. But I want to tell you, when you say without a doubt, there is a God and there's only one God. When you say without a doubt, he's the creator of all. All things came into existence through him. When you begin to say, this is his word. It's not good suggestions. It's not some work of literature. It is his word. And when you begin to say in his word is his gospel. And when you begin to say the truth of that gospel is there is salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And when you begin to say sin is sin and it is still sin and it has no remedy outside of the Savior, the good news of the gospel, it's not going to stand. And if you won't relent in that, and if you won't let up in that, listen to me, friend, trouble is coming. But church, be sure trouble doesn't change the message. See, that's what's messing folks up. We got all this trouble. I can't understand why it's coming. We got all this trouble, and I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. And so maybe we'll adapt it a little bit. Maybe we'll soften it down a little bit. Trouble is coming. Listen to me, church. But trouble doesn't change the message. Trouble needs the message. There's peace in Jesus. I want you to notice one last thing here. I'm catching my breath. I want you to notice one last thing here. Notice the end of verse 40. It says, there was a great hush. This gets to me. There was a great hush, and he spoke to them, listen, in the Hebrew dialect. That gets me. He doesn't speak to him in Latin, the official language of the Roman Empire. He doesn't speak to him in Greek, the common popular language of the day. He doesn't speak to him in Aramaic, the regional language of Galilee, even the language of Jesus. He spoke to them in Hebrew. 
those that hate him, those that are trying to kill him, he spoke to them in their own language and their ears perked up. He spoke to them in the language of their fathers and their grandfathers and their grandfathers before that and their ears perked up. He spoke to them in the language of the Psalms, the songs that they had sung with their people. He spoke to them in the language of their mother's songs that they had been singing to them when they rocked them and their ears perked up. He spoke to them in the language of their faith, the language in which it was recorded in the book of Genesis, the seed of woman will crush the serpent's head. The language in which it was recorded in the book of Exodus, God is their deliverer seeing their plight and making their way. It is recorded in the language of Joshua calling them to decide this day whom will you serve? As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. That was spoken in the Hebrew dialect. It is spoken, recorded in the language which the prophets spoke, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Joel and Amos and Obadiah, the faithful couriers of the word of God. It is recorded in the language in which God announced a savior would come. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. It was in Hebrew that they knew that fact. It was the language that was told of them, a servant that would come and carry their sins far away, their only hope. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And by his scourging, we are healed. In Hebrew, they were promised forgiveness. In Hebrew, they heard of their coming Redeemer. And here is Paul, and he is beaten, and he is chained, and he stands on these stairs, and he speaks to them in their very own language, and their ears perked up. In Hebrew, the message goes out. Listen to me. In trouble, the message does not change. It stands. In trouble, it does not change. It endures. In trouble, it does not end. It saves. It saves. Our hope today is in that same Savior, is in that same promise, is in that same gospel. Our hope today. Listen, if you haven't trusted Jesus, turn to him today. He's your hope. There is good news. It's in Jesus. Listen, if you're worried about the troubles brewing around us, pick your eyes up out of that mess and turn them to Jesus. It's the same good news. The message has not changed. Jesus is our hope. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come, and I praise you and I thank you. Lord, I see it's hard, and I see trouble. We walk in the midst of trouble. But praise the Lord on this day, in your grace and your kindness, and in your wisdom, you tell your church that the mission doesn't change because of trouble. Help each of us to remember that. You tell us as a church, the message does not change because of trouble. Each of us, Lord, help us not to compromise. Help us to hold to that. And I pray the fruit of that is that the good news of Jesus Christ will be held even higher. I pray in a messed up and sorry and trouble-filled and dying world that the message of Christ through the ministry of this church will be held even higher. And I pray that folks would hear it. They would see it and they would grab it.
and in trusting you, Lord, I, I, I pray for many to be saved. Lord, we come and we just thank you on this day. We praise you reading, studying, hearing these words. Pray we're faithful to uphold them. Lord, we worship you, we thank you. We ask in this time of invitation now that you would move, that I believe you've spoken, that you continue to speak. I pray that any hindrance will be removed. I pray that our pride will be set down. I pray for somebody here that needs to turn to you today. They would do so in faith. They would find salvation today, Lord. Remove any hindrance. Help them walk and move in boldness. Lord, I pray for us as a church that we've been instructed yet again that we would stand boldly for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We give this time to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I say it, I, I truly believe it. The most important time that we'll pass through today, the most important thing that we'll do is, is give folks a chance to respond to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you today, there is a Savior. His name is Jesus. I want to tell you, he knows you, he sees you in your sin. He came and he died on the cross, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, paying your penalty, your death, mine as well. He stands resurrected, risen from the dead as the risen lamb, the king of glory. The Bible says if you'll put your hope in him, not in a man, not in a church, not in a denomination, not of any work that you might well up and do, but if you'll put your faith in him, you shall be saved is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn to Jesus today, he'll save you. Just a second, we're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. If God is speaking to you, you step out and you come on. If you need more information, listen, don't leave here without it settled. You step out and you come on. If you're looking for a church home, you've prayed about it, you believe God has led you here, you come as well. And together we'll serve his mission, upholding his word for his glory till he comes again. Maybe you need to follow in believer's baptism. You've trusted Christ. But you've never followed in believers' baptism. The Bible says it's by immersion. That's the New Testament model. The Bible says it's always after we're saved, not part of our salvation. If you've trusted Christ and you never followed in believers' baptism, you come as well. We'll set a day that'll be a great day of celebration. Maybe you want to come as we, as we head into Easter and say, God, prepare my heart. Help me prepare my home. Prepare us, Lord, to, to celebrate you. Maybe you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. Maybe you're dealing with something altogether different. I'm going to ask that no one would stir about our head for an exit. You pray for those who are making decisions. As we stand to sing, if you have a decision to make, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here.